Collective Church, I want to introduce you guys to Joel. This is Joel. Can we say hi to Joel? Hi, Joel. Hello. Joel, how, uh, I want you to share your story, but before you get there, just tell us how long have you been a part of this church, this community? I've been coming to Collective uh, for about five months now. For about five months now, and I've had the chance to get to know Joel and get to know his story, and I thought um, it would be an incredible inspiration and encouragement to all, to this community, for us to be able to right now stop and just sort of hear what brought you here. Like, tell us a little bit how you got to this point up to five months ago. You even got to this point now. Take us back to when it started. So start from the very beginning. Start from the very beginning. All you right. were seven ounces, 14 pounds. <laughs> not that early. No, not that early. Not that early. Um, yeah, I had a pretty normal upbringing. Uh, I grew up in a super Christian family. We went to an evangelical free church uh, every Sunday. It was our community. It was our life. Um, my dad was a deacon at the church, and my mom was super involved. She was like the super PTA mom um, in all of my life. Uh, she was pretty awesome. And so life was pretty good. I mean, everything was flowing. We went to church. We had a strong community. We had all our friends there. Jesus was a big part of our life. It guided us. Um, it was pretty great. And so you heavily involved. Everything was peachy. Uh, family was happy. Uh, I think you remember, I remember you told me a while ago that I think your family was close with a pastor. Yes. Yeah, my, my dad was actually best friends with the pastor. I remember growing up, he had this little lock on the dresser. Okay. Um, and it was his name, Steve, and the pastor's name, Rick. And they were like, they were intertwined. Hmm. So they were best buddies. They were really close. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, tell us, because that actually pretty rosy picture turned bleak pretty fast. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Um, so what happened in our particular church community was the pastor had an affair, and it kind of rocked the entire community um, because nobody expected it, saw it coming. Um, and as that occurred, that church community just completely dissolved. And he had to leave the church along with his whole family, who we were really close friends with, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. They would always babysit me growing up. And my parents would always go to plays. Uh, the pastor's son was always in the high school plays. And so that close friendship and that whole community just fell apart. It was gone. Okay, so that fell apart. And then at the same time, at the same time, what I'm assuming sort of happened from there was... Um, if I remember correctly, I mean, how did your family take it? So we had a difficult position in the church because we were so close with the pastor and yeah. all of them, and we didn't see it coming. Um, and as that happened in my family, uh, or as that happened in my church family, I saw my own family fall apart. My mother also had an affair, and it was like one kind of was a domino that led to the other, and the dominoes kind of kept falling at an early age in my life. Um, so my mom left my father when I was around 11, okay. and the three of us kind of split, and our paths kind of became independent. And as the church was gone, so went my faith with it too, um, I no longer went to church anymore. I no longer opened a Bible. I no longer even really 
thought of Jesus or following in his image on a, on a daily basis. Okay. Um, I'm assuming that's probably what brought you out to L.A.? Yeah, I mean, eventually that journey leads me to L.A. I was always a huge movie buff, and I think as religion and as Jesus left my life and as my parents also pursued different paths, my mom in particular uh, succumbed to some addictions and she became a heavy heroin addict. And so trying to save her time and again was very difficult and so you fill that void with something especially when you don't have god or religion or anything and i filled it with movies that was always my passion um that became my church the movie theater was my church i would go there it was dark you're in a community atmosphere and you're entranced by this thing something you can believe in if it was only for a few hours um which eventually brings me to l.a because I wanted to pursue a career in that industry. And I've, you know, uh, I've, I've been very blessed in that I am pursuing that career. I'm, a, I'm an editor. So you, you're in LA, you're not following Jesus, your family has sadly gone their own ways in some respect, as far as with Jesus or with even one another, that close and tight family unit that was once was is now a little bit fractured, and that, but somehow, how do you end up back here? How are you up here talking on the stage? Get us to, get us to that So point. you have many jobs as an editor. You freelance and whatnot. And in one particular job, I met a member of this church. Her name is Lily. And she got to know my past and my story a little bit. And she was like, I, I'm a part of this great church community called Collective. You should give it a shot. And I was like, okay, religion. <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay, that thing. You know, I, I would still pray here and there at night, I think just out of habit from right. being as a kid, my mom being like, oh, pray every evening, you know, you get in that habitual yeah. sort of routine. But rightfully hesitant, it seems. Absolutely. I remember the first time I came, and it was at uni high, I was super nervous. I, you know, I walked in, and it was a little bit unlike any church I had been to, there was music playing, and it was awesome music. It was super cool. I could totally dig it. <laughs> um, there were amazing cookies yes. that were delicious. Tons of smiling faces. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, yes. <laughs> no cookies today, but the cupcakes the cupcake. were divine. We got cupcakes. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Well, there goes that. <laughs> so then, uh, and everybody was just so kind and warm and friendly, and I didn't expect that. I thought coming back to a church community was going to be like, okay, do X, Y, and Z, read these Bible verses, join this Bible group, do right. this, that, and that, and you will be a Christian again. Right. And I was kind of like, that's what I was afraid of walking into. Right. And, and this, this community is not that. You all just welcomed me in so heartfully and so like just truthfully you just looked at me as who i was whether i was you know christian or not and that was just so beautiful and that amount of love is what wanted me it's 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 what made me come a second time Hmm. and so i came back the next week and in that next week i came a little early um and there was the pre-gathering prayer and you were sitting in it, and I was just kind of lingering out there in that courtyard. And you said, come on in, come on, come on. 
And I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like, pray? I don't, I, have... think, I don't think you said it audibly. I would have been like, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't say it. But so, like, I hadn't, you know, oh, jeez, I'm going to sit in this room with about five people, yeah. and I'm going to pray. And one of them's the pastor. And I was like, okay, I don't even know, right. you know, what, what do I do, you know? I haven't done this for 15 years. Right. Um, but that particular moment was super enriching because in that I remember, I remember we were all sitting there in that circle and we all felt super close and connected as we prayed. And I really opened up yeah. in a rather personal way because pre-gathering prayer I don't think is typically super personal. It's more for the whole. But I got personal in that moment. I remember. And, and, and I was like... You know, I was so thankful to have Jesus enter my life again in this beautiful way with all these beautiful people, something to that extent. But we were all so close, and, but it, it just there was this connectedness, and it was it was that when it, it, it really clicked for me. Yeah. That's what did it. Yeah, and what I love about Joel's story, just so everybody knows, it wasn't like this like all of a sudden overnight moment. I think many weeks been, went went by. You and I sat down to have a burger one day, and you're like, I'm not a Christian. It's like, okay. And we, but we enjoyed our burger, and we just kept talking and hanging out. But it was one of those things where it was like, I'm figuring things out again. And I'm figuring where Jesus fits into this. And through this whole process, you have put your life into Jesus. And yeah. you are now a follower of Christ. Absolutely. And uh, you are wearing a yellow lanyard. means you're volunteering here. And you're part of these rhythms which again, melt my heart because you want to grow in Christ. And so what I love about your story, it wasn't this like, amazing pinpoint moment. It was this community effort. I mean, every time I've heard Joel's testimony, if you guys heard it, it was this community effort where he didn't feel um, abandoned. He didn't feel like shied away. He, he wasn't pushed away. He wasn't seen how he should be, but how he was. And so I want us to hear Joel's story. I want us to stop and hear Joel's story because this is breathtaking and has nothing to do with, man, Casey preached a great sermon or music saved my life. This was done by the community. This community. This community had an integral part in this man experiencing the love of Christ. Joel, Amen. I love you so much. I love you. Love you guys. Love you. You guys, I hope when you hear these type of stories that you recognize that Joel's story is your story, that his story is our story, that when we talk about these type of things, when we hear these type of stories, this is not, oh, cool, just a one-off. This is fruit. For those of us who've been around for over the last year, again, is this not answered prayer? Is this not answered prayer where broken stories become beautiful, where broken stories become redeemed? You guys were a part of it. You guys get to share in that wonderful fruit. We get to look at Joel and go, holy smokes, in some crazy, odd, little, weird way, God used me to transform a man from darkness to light. It's absolutely insane. And so kind of our entire thing that we want to talk about tonight in a lot of respects is we want 
more and more and more Joel's. We want to be a part of praying for Joel's, giving for Joel's, sacrificing for Joel's. See, hopefully you guys have heard it before, but our simple but hopefully clear mission statement says that we are a community on the west side following Jesus and seeking to reach, teach, and equip others to do the same. Let's make this even more personal. We are a community of Jesus followers who want to reach people like Joel, teach people like Joel, and equip people like Joel. This is something that we take on personally and collectively. This is a mission statement that we believe is rooted, and it's biblically rooted, it's biblically grounded. It's a message of the Bible, it's the mission and plan of God, that a community seeking to reach people to make followers of Christ. That is what we want. That is the fruit and the beauty we see in Joel's story. And so we do this so that our vision statement will come to fruition. Let me read our vision statement. Our desire is to become a healthy and multiplying expression of Christ's church in each of the 23 neighborhoods that make up the west side of Los Angeles. So, Lorenzo, Pastor Lorenzo and I are asked a bunch. Sometimes by you guys, other times by other people. And basically the same question is this. Where do you want to see collective in five years? Where do you want to see collective in 10 years, 15 years? We get that question a bunch. To be honest... I would say, in very plain, simple terms, it's to witness this come alive. It's to witness this come alive, to press on towards making this vision statement a reality. So five, 10 years from now, this coming to fruition. 20, 30, 40 years now, this coming to fruition. See, we want followers of Jesus multiplied. We want Joel's multiplied. We want communities and neighborhood dinners and discipleship groups multiplied. We want churches, 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 churches multiplied, not only across the globe, but even here on the west side. You know how much it would melt our hearts, how pumped we would be to plant a church across the west side and send a bunch of you, like a truckload of you. That's what we want. Not to get rid of you guys. (laughs) Let's send the bad ones. Not to get rid of you guys. To send, send, send. Gosh, for you and I to be a part of a work that can only be explained by the hand of God. So for us to make um, efforts towards this, we need to slow down. We need to slow down with nights like tonight so that we can really grasp and remember and call to action what it is we are doing. So with that, I'm going to invite Pastor Lorenzo up. Pastor Lorenzo will be giving a bigger framework and finer details of what we've been a part of this past year, and sort of where we're at. Again, a call to action, a celebration. I mean, a celebration is some of our favorite moments. Lorenzo and I have been talking this past week, and it was one of those things where it's like, gosh, it has been 12 months. And for some of us, longer through our core group phase, if you guys remember those, but it has been 12 months. And it was one of those things where it's like, what's some of your favorite moments? What's some of those moments where you're like, holy smokes, that was epic. And as we were talking about this, I just want to be... I think the most I cried in this church was during baptisms. I think those six baptisms we did where people were getting in the tub. Ross, you remember, bro. Where people were getting in the tub. I call you out every time. Where people were getting in and 100% over and over again saying, Jesus is king of my life. I mean, that's why we exist. To hear people over and over and over again say, Jesus is king of 
my life. That is why we're here. Lorenzo, right? Absolutely. I think one of my favorite parts was, um, it's really related, obviously, to what you're saying, but seeing people find their place and take their place within the body Mm -hmm. of Christ. Um, Certainly, we've seen people come to know Jesus, which has been amazing. Casey spoke to that. We've seen people baptized. Um, But it uh, it almost seems like the number one group of people that we seem to be reaching as a new church on the West Side is Christians, and this, I'm speaking of many of you, Christians that genuinely love Jesus and don't have a church community to be a part of. Yeah. And that, that's been probably one of my biggest surprises in this whole thing. So, you know, even with, even with people that may have had a bad experience like Joel or whatever, and we're not talking about, you know, people that left the church because they got a chip on their shoulder or something tragic happened. I'm talking about people who, like, just genuinely love Jesus, don't have a problem with Christian community, but for whatever reason, haven't found their place. And there's so many of you that... Uh, I, well, I'm very thankful you found your home here. You found your place here. And we are passionate about seeing people take their place within the body of Christ. And I'm so excited to see how God has assembled people together to be a part of his work. So. I'm excited. You guys, I encourage you right now as we go over some of these, these details of the last year, uh, let us be a church that's just pumped about this. So every slide that comes up or everything Lorenzo's going over, and remember, this is our story. This is stuff that we are a part of. So I'm excited for what you have to share. Thank you, Pastor Lorenzo. Thanks, buddy. All right, so when we started this church, when the church was planted, and really um, direct efforts, well, we launched Sunday gatherings a year ago, like Casey mentioned, but formal efforts just to, to plant the church actually started over a year before that, and, um, and started with gathering a, a core group of people together, cultivating community, and investing in people, praying on a very regular basis, praying every week ultimately, and there's been a slow evolution of how that one prayer group became six prayer groups and, and, and things like that. But uh, I remember very early on, um, I mean, one of the silly things about planning a church is you have to pick a name. And um, this church, you can see the sign outside, it's called the Westside Christian Fellowship. I think there's also a Westside Church. We would have gone with something super plain. Um, but all the plain names were taken, and we, we didn't know what to call it. We couldn't come up with anything you know, epic or whatever, not that we were trying to, but we, re- we really didn't know what to call the church. And everyone's asking, what are you guys going to call the church? Like, ah, I don't know. But during that whole time, the whole reason why we're even talking about calling the church anything was because God had given us a vision for a community of people on the west side to follow after Jesus and to make disciples. And so we had this vision and this passion burning in our hearts for what it might look like, this community of people. And what we ended up landing on was it just came in a a flash one day where we realized, wait, in a word, it's summed up in the word collective. Everything that we've been talking about is summed up in the word collective. The word collective speaks of something that is shared or done by all members of a group. When you, when you think of the church from the perspective of the New Testament, the word collective is quite redundant. It's very literally what a church is supposed to be about. A church is not a place where, but a people who. And it's not just the people who just show up at a gathering on Sunday, but it's, who are, it's people who are actively engaged in God's work people who are recognizing, as I mentioned earlier, their place within the body of Christ. That imagery is given in Scripture that how we are all members, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, have become part of the body of Christ. So there's this imagery, this metaphor of the body that is being used, and each of us are identified, biblically speaking, as members of the body. 
And the body has a task, has a purpose, has a function. And uh, what we recognize that to be is that there's the, the broader mission of God. But within that, we've been commissioned to be active in his work in the world. So God's mission is ultimately our commission. And so it's not for people, you know, like the professionals like Casey or whatever, just do all the heavy lifting and to do all the work. Where all that collective church is, is uh, involved in is summed up by the efforts of one person or even just a few. But all of us coming together to, to truly be a community of people, not just for what gets done, but the way that we can love one another, the way we can serve one another, the way we can reach the West Side for Jesus. And so we're excited about, and I'll tell you right now, and you'll see it tonight, how what started as a God-given vision and a spark, I am blown away how that has actually become a reality. And I was just talking to some people outside, drinking coffee and eating cupcakes, and um, and we were just talking about, this is so amazing what is taking place. And as we, as we sort of did an assessment of where are we at a year in, there were some aspects of that assessment and that review that were so on the far end of positive that I thought, oh, this has got to, this has got to be wrong. <laughs> this isn't even realistic. And it caused us to take a second look and a third and a fourth look at some of these things to figure out, is this really what's going on? And yeah, it is. And it's so amazing because... Um, I'm excited for what this means that we collectively get to be a part of. God has called each of us to be here, to be on the west side. Some of us think that we're here because of a job. We like you here because of the weather um, or whatever it might be. But aside from all those things, aside from it being a pleasurable place, a nice place to live and good weather and all that, we have to recognize God's hand in all this. God has actually placed us here to be embedded missionaries for him to be actively engaged in his mission. And so God has placed us here. And we are joining God's work. Even as positive as things are looking, it's not about us. We're not the tip of the spear. We're not the saviors of the west side. We are really just joining in the work of God on the west side. And there are other churches on the west side that have been laboring away for years. Communities that follow Jesus, that have been serving the residents of the West Side, seeking to proclaim the name of Jesus on the West Side. And we've seen that developing over years. And we now have been called, all of us together, we've been called by God to be a part of this. And it's an exciting opportunity for us to be a part of this and to be this community. And to be a community, when you really think about it, it really um, causes us to recognize our need and our lack. It, rec- it causes us to recognize what we lack because we aren't regarding ourselves as completely self-sufficient, right? To be in a community and to be called to be a part of this recognizes what we are lacking as individuals, but then collectively it adds value and causes us to recognize the, recognize the value that each of us brings collectively together. So as a community, we, re- we recognize, man, we, I lack as an individual. I need others. And that creates value and causes us to recognize the value of others. So we've been super excited about what that has looked like here on the West Side. And this is just really an inescapable reality of what God has called us to, to be a community of people following him. So tonight, 
really the theme of what we're going to be going over as we look at some details is I, I really, in light of everything that was shared, I want us to see it through that filter of collective, through that filter of recognizing that we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And we'll be able to take a look at what some of that has um, looked like and how that's taken shape over the last 12 months or so. So um, obviously here we are at one of our Sunday gatherings. We've had these for a year now, and our Sunday gatherings are, of course, very important because they play a major role in helping us to learn of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of us have come to know Jesus in these previous 12 months. Others have known Jesus for quite a long time, and what we've seen is people coming into this community and being raised up in new ways and taking their place in new ways. That's often what church plants do. It creates new opportunities for people, and we've, we've seen some amazing things happen. And here on our Sunday gatherings, it's, it's, we've just week in and week out, we've just been learning about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We're going through the book of Acts together, looking at God's plan and purpose for the church and how the Holy Spirit has empowered us to be on mission. And as we see the gospel advancing through the first century, we see that recorded in the book of Acts. But these, these gatherings that we have, Sure, they are very literally the collective church community coming together, but these gatherings are not just exclusively for the collective church community. Every single week, and, we, and, and t- today is no different, every single week we have our guests with us. And so what we don't want is to think of collective as in, hey, let's get all of our people together and let's go through these rhythms that are almost exclusive and keeping other people at bay. What we don't want to do is just you know, have this club where we hang out of just, you know, we become very insular and very internally focused. We've got to recognize that as a church that follows Jesus, that we, again, have been given that commission to be about God's mission. And so we don't want to be so insular and so inward focused. Now, we need to do efforts to take care of ourselves, to make sure that we are healthy, to make sure that we're loving and serving one another. The Bible says that the world will know us by the love that we have for one another because of what, you know, the, the world's not going to care about the love we profess to have if we can't even show it to our own family. But um, these Sunday gatherings, because we have guests with us, it really sort of heightens our awareness of what it means to gather together. You know, um, if my brother were to come visit, you know, my, my, where I live with my family, my, my house, my brother were to come visit, you know, I may or may not clean the house before he shows up. But when I have guests come over, it's a completely different perspective. That's the perspective we always want to have, is that we're always mindful that, our people that, that there are people that come to our gatherings that don't know Jesus. And we have a responsibility and an incredible opportunity to help create a hospitable and welcoming environment for people to come into a space like this to have a positive experience and make this a place that they want to be so that they keep coming back to learn more about Jesus. Casey talked about church planning and, and, and our hopes and dreams of what it might look like to church plant on the west side. We're not trying to gather a crowd. We hope that you know, the more people that gather here, the more people we can send out for the sake of God's missions. But we're not trying to gather a crowd, but we do want people to have a positive experience here so they can continue to come and learn about Jesus. And a big part of that is the way that we contribute our gifts and our talents to use them for the purposes of God. And our volunteers are a huge part of that. We have um, a lot of people that are serving, a lot of people that are involved, and we're very, very thankful. Um, there's sort of like this unwritten rule that you know, 20% of the people do all the work and 80% of the people don't. 
Uh, and that's pretty typical within the church world, if you didn't know that. Um, I did some Googling a couple days ago, and I found that um, if, you're, if in your church there's 45 people serving, that's really, really high. If 45% of your church community is serving. Now, we don't have, our volunteers don't just serve and facilitate ministry. On Sundays, they serve and facilitate ministry in other capacities too, but certainly Sundays is the vast majority of the ways that they serve. But if 20% is typical and 45% is really good, do you know how many we have? Unless it's already on the screen, it's not, and it's about to come right now. 74% of our church community is serving. Can we just say thanks to all of our volunteers? And the weird part about this is that you just clap for yourselves. Because <laughs> the vast majority of you are those people right there. And so we're really excited. I mean, this, this number, I had to double check and triple check and look at this. Like 74%, that's, that's unheard of. So I did a little bit more digging. This puts us in the top 10% of churches. Not top 10 as in top 10 best churches. Just what I mean by that is top 10% is in that it's very rare. It's, this is a, a very unique situation. And even this right now is like, oh my goodness. We had this vision that God placed in our hearts to be a collective church. And we're seeing it take place. We're seeing people participating, contributing their time their gifts, their skills, their abilities to serve and to love one another. And this is, this is just absolutely insane. And the way that we serve, you know, it's, it's very important for us to recognize what we're doing. You know, we're not just like putting cupcakes on a plate outside. We're not just handing people cups of coffee. We're not just, we're not just putting out a sign on the street corner. We're not just setting up chairs. Yes, we are doing those things, but that's not the point. The point is not to set up a chair. The point is not to hand someone a cup of coffee. This all facilitates ministry. This is all part of creating an atmosphere that people can come into, feel comfortable, and feel welcome. And thanks to the coffee, stay awake so that they can learn about Jesus. And so all the ways that we serve, and for those of you that are serving, and I love that I'm talking to this crowd of people and most of you are our volunteers. The way that you guys serve it, please see the big picture in it. Please recognize that there's way more to it than just a cup of coffee or chairs that we're moving or a table that we're setting up. Please recognize how that is all part of what it means to be a servant, to serve other people and to serve in these very practical ways. So when it comes to volunteers, so not only are we obviously dependent on volunteers, because we're, you know, as most churches are, heavily a volunteer-driven organization. Um, we're dependent on volunteers to carry out ministry on Sundays and some of the things throughout the week. But, it's, but I don't want you to hear that volunteers is all about how dependent we are on you guys to do all the work. Um, really, it just speaks to the fact that we just want people to participate in this. And so even though we have 74% of our church community serving, there's 26% of you that aren't. And so we would invite, if you're, if you're part of that 26%, we'd say, join in, participate in this. And we're actually at the point now with 74% of our church community serving, we're actually at the point now where we're able to be creative and develop new opportunities and develop new roles and capacities to be able to serve our people better and even to serve our volunteers 
better because we care deeply. And, you know, sometimes if Casey and I uh, fail to communicate this, I'll just tell you right now, we apologize. And I know I speak for Casey. We love you guys so much and we're so thankful for you. Um, and, and we're just so grateful for what you do. But you're, you're not just, a, just a, a cog in the machine. You're not just part of the machine. We recognize that you are people that are called by Jesus to be a part of this. We're really in, we're really in this together. And each of us have different capacities and ways that we serve and contribute, but each of us have value, and we're very, very grateful and very, very thankful for, for the ways that you guys have stepped up. So the fact that there's 74% serving, you guys get it. You guys totally get it. You, and, and this is not even like to pat ourselves on the back, like, hey, congratulations, we're amazing. Uh, it's not about that. It's not, it's not just to, to, to talk about how amazing we are. Um, but it's, it's really about just recognizing this is actually our mandate. This is what it's all about, people contributing together and joining in and serving and loving Jesus and facilitating these gatherings so the Bible can be preached and people can come to know Jesus. But with our Sundays, it's not just about 52 events a year. We don't want it to be just 52 events a year. Um, we very much want to be about discipleship. What are we if we are a church Um, that doesn't make disciples. Jesus commissioned us. Jesus commissioned his followers to make disciples. And discipleship is just that process of becoming a disciple and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and the approach we take to discipleship is mutual discipleship, where we um, seek to disciple one another. So we're not looking for just the older to to disciple the, the younger because we don't have a lot of older and so what that means is we don't believe that the Bible was that short-sighted that discipleship, uh, where it communicated that discipleship is that impossible or incapable of taking place if, if there's majority same age of people involved. So as we look at Scripture, we understand what God has commissioned and called us to do. He told his followers to make more followers of him. And so we, we, that sort of flipped everything for us where we realized that each of us has a mandate and a commission um, to disciple one another. And so our approach to discipleship involves connecting with one another, mutual discipleship, peer-to-peer, just discipling one another. And our process involves, um, uh, it incorporates a Bible reading plan, it incorporates our Sunday talks, and then, um, and then our discipleship groups. And so what this really means is our Bible reading plan as we read prior to the study, as we go through Scripture together, we're in Scripture individually. So this means that we take personal responsibility for being in the Word and feeding ourselves spiritually to discern what God is calling us to. That Bible passage becomes the basis for the Sunday talk. And so then on on Sundays, we, we preach on what we've been reading. And then those two things together then inform the discussion that takes place within our discipleship groups. Or to say it the backwards, what we discuss in our discipleship groups is informed by not just the Sunday talk, but the Bible reading plan that that talk was based on. So that's our approach to discipleship. And we want to deeply engage in God's word together in these various ways. And you can see how this is engaging scripture in different ways, just personally in it, collectively gathered together as the Bible is taught, and then hashing it out in a discipleship group as we explore and discover what it looks like to hold one another accountable, to encourage one another in these things, to discuss how do these things apply to our lives. And so this is the normative process 
for us as a church as we seek to disciple one another. This is a gospel-driven, word-saturated, intentional one-anothering. It is men and women regularly teaching one another to obey what Jesus commanded. That's what it's all about. So that together, we can help one another to grow in Christ's likeness. And so when it comes to discipleship, we are excited to... To, to discover and report back to you that 73% of our church community is involved in discipleship. 73% of our church is involved in actively discipling one another. That is, that's amazing. We are so excited to, to be engaged in that way as a community and to see the spiritual fruit that re- will result of it. Um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we have to just recognize our need for, for one another and, and why it's so important that we are engaged in this discipleship process. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to have Andy come on up. And Andy, you can, here's a mic for you. And Andy has a story that I would like all of us to hear. And we're really stoked that Andy would um, be willing to share her story because sometimes that can be a little bit intimidating. Um, but Andy, so let, let's, let's start by, you've been a Christian for a while. Long time. A long time. But you found yourself in a difficult situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been in church leadership for a few years. And uh, last year, it kind of got to a point where it was made very clear that the church really was my idol. Um, and I... I put the church above God and just through a lot of different situations, it got to the point where God was like, I have to be above the church. And I like wasn't about it. Um, (laughs) It got me to a point where I realized that I really didn't trust God and I didn't really feel loved by God. Um, And so I was kind of like, nah, not, not I don't want it. it. I don't want it. I don't want this God. I don't like what the Bible has to say. I'm just over it, um, which sucked. <laughs> so a lot of people, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, yeah. there's a lot of stuff you know about God and a lot of stuff you know about the church. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, if they were in that position and then struggling in that way, struggling in their faith, their reaction would be to just withdraw, isolate mm-hmm. themselves. What how did what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I did in some senses. I stopped serving on Sundays. I stopped going to uh, neighborhood dinners or groups or whatever they were called at that point. Um, and church was really uncomfortable. I would come on Sundays and I'd try not to talk to a lot of people. People asking me how I was was just probably my nightmare, obviously, (laughs) um, be like, huh, church, whatever. Um, but around that time I joined a discipleship group and I had committed to these three girls and I kind of couldn't get out of it in a sense. I, I, I told them that I was going to do it. And so So here it was. If you're in a discipleship group, you're a prisoner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I just felt really committed so i kind of just stuck it out i guess yeah why uh 
Like, what you, you were, like you, you know, church, going to church on Sundays was the worst thing because people would say, how you're doing and all yeah, of that. Right. And you pulled out of neighborhood dinners, you're saying, for the same reason. Right. What, what made you stick with the discipleship group? I, mean, I say, think it was like, it was three people. And those three people, I think, was at least some, what, more safe to me rather than like all of the people asking me how I was doing and then me giving like a really vague answer. Um, and I was in it for a little while. I could kind of beat around the bush a little bit. Um, and not really go there, even though it kind of seemed like I. But like you was finally being opened up and shared what was yeah. going on. What was that eventually? Like? And how did they respond? Uh, I think they were really surprised, to be honest, because um, it it was months before I actually really was saying how I was doing, and uh, I sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I, I don't really like collective. I don't really think I'm gonna go anymore. Um, maybe I'll go back to my home church or go somewhere else. I don't know. And so we talk about it for a little bit. But when I finally said, this is where I'm at, I'm like not doing well. I don't think I believe what God has to say. Uh, there, I was really met with so much grace in that moment. Um, a lot of understanding, not saying that it was perfect, but they just like I somewhat committed to them they really committed to me they really committed to my relationship with the lord and in that moment i realized how much they cared about me as a person and my spiritual growth so so they played a big role i mean you know, there's probably other stuff going on the yeah. lord was doing a work in your heart to, yeah. to draw you back to himself but it sounds like they played a big role in that for sure how are you doing now really good yeah <laughs> uh it's kind of it, I can't say anything about like it's pretty much a short nothing short of a miracle in a sense um the church was everything and it was an such an idol in this whole year the lord just like chiseled that away and gave me a new understanding of what the church is and what community is and um they played such a huge role in that and um showing me just his patience and his kindness in just certain areas where they weren't like pushy and like trying to get me to figure it out or like they probably weren't perfect either right no yeah I think that, <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's kind of the point that this whole experience is messy right yeah yeah and i mean we all have our own stuff so they had their stuff too mm-hmm. as they're trying to help me i and i can't really help them because you know yeah i'm not let me ask you were they super elite christians no no offense if they weren't everybody no but there's just like people who love jesus yeah were, as you mentioned, they had committed to you, yeah. and they they were seeking to reach out to you. Yeah. So, what have you? What are your takeaways? Looking back at that, what are your what are your takeaways from this whole experience? Um, I think just that one that God really does love us, and I think that's something that's really hard to grasp sometimes. And but I think through the church and through other people he shows his compassion and his grace and um, just how uh, like sweet and patient he is to pursue us in the ways that's so unique to us. I didn't have that like aha moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I realized my wrong and I'm transformed. Like it was so slow. It was a year, more than a year, but especially this year of me being like, no, not into it. And like, then one day I realized, I have joy for the first time in years and like that's a miracle. So. 
So it was a positive experience in the end. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> do you think, shameless plug, do you think this is a worthwhile thing for people to be engaged in with one another? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if I didn't have my discipleship group, I probably wouldn't be in the healthy spot I am right now. That's for sure. Well, I know that uh, obviously you're appreciative and thank you for your discipleship group. Yeah. Casey and I actually, as you had shared your story with us, um, Casey and I have discussed it quite a bit too. And we're very thankful as well for what you ended up discovering. We're very thankful for your discipleship group. So whoever's in her discipleship group, good job. This Um, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you're the hero over there. But anyway, thank you very much for sharing. Thanks for bearing your soul in that way. Thanks, Andy. You got it. So that's what it's all about. It's about just like really getting into it with people. And it's about just regular people. And you might be thinking, man, I haven't been a Christian for a long time. I'm not a super spiritual person. I've only known Jesus for a year or two or three or six months or whatever. Know that you've got something to contribute. And that's why we take the approach that we have. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the capacity to serve other people, to sort of hold them accountable to their commitment that they once made to, to know, love, and live for Jesus, to support them, to pray for them, to come alongside them. And the Holy Spirit will come alongside you and enable you and equip you to be a minister to these people. And so if you've been holding back from a discipleship group thinking, man, I got nothing to offer, you're wrong. You do have something to offer. And please don't hold back from that and just know that everyone... If you, if you know Jesus, you have something to offer. And so we're very thankful for, for Andy's story and what God's done in her life and that God has been so gracious to you to reveal himself to you in a new way. And we hope that even by sharing that story, it's not that Andy is you know, the poster child for the prodigal, right? The, the poster child for the person that was so horrible in her faith that she fell away. How could she do that? It's not even that we're trying to do that. And we're not even trying to prop up her discipleship group as the ultimate Christians either. This is just real life stuff that happens. And we could walk through these things together and navigate through these things together. So we're really excited about seeing some of these things take place as we seek to commit to one another that we would grow in Christ-likeness. All right, we're going to switch some gears now. Um, you know, God has, has given us the, the opportunity as a church, Casey and I, as those that are, have planted this church, the pastors that lead the church, to cultivate ministry, to lead people on mission, to be engaged in God's work in this way. And part of the ways that people participate and engage in God's work, and this is one of the ways that is most telling, is the sacrifices that they make. And certainly sacrifices seen in the way that people serve, But another way that that is a big way that people show and have demonstrated sacrifice and their commitment and their level of engagement to what God is doing and their their participation with us as a church community is a way that people uh, contribute financially. And so we are committed to being transparent as it relates to the finances of the church. So we want to quickly just run through some things right here. Not too quickly that we brush over it, but uh, we don't want to lose you. But um, we are in a situation where the, if we looked at you know, the total giving versus the expenses of the ministry and the things that we've needed, to the, the costs of, of sort of you know, getting going in our first year, um, our giving is, is almost uh, $604,000 for the year. Our expenses are under that, so that's good, about, about $571,000. 
Um, but here's the, here's the thing. So we, we recognize that our, and it's good to, that our expenses are under what is coming in. But here's the thing. We're not, as a new church plan, and this is very typical, we're not financially self-sufficient. And so there have been uh, some amazing churches, four amazing churches that have come alongside you guys and partner with you guys in ways that you don't even know. Some of you know if you've been around for a while. We've talked about it, but... They've partnered with our community to help give us and help financially set us up with some startup uh, funds to be able to fully engage and hit the ground running. And so, um, of the five hundred and sorry, of the six hundred and four thousand dollars that have come in, two hundred and thirty-five thousand of that has been from these churches. So they've made a significant investment. So we have our, our sending church, Reality LA. There's a church in, uh, in Kentucky um, that has come alongside us. There's a church in Fort Worth, Texas, and also a church in Anaheim. These are mega churches that, that, that in many cases have been around a long time. They're mega churches. They've got their buildings paid off and things like that, and they want to invest in kingdom uh, work. And so we've had the great fortune of being connected with a church planning organization called the Orchard Group that has sort of served as a go-between to connect us with these churches. And um, they totally believe in what God is doing here, and they've invested uh, financially in that. And so um, we're very grateful for their contribution. Now, that leaves the remainder. That means that 369000 of what has come in this year is been, has been you guys, $369,000. And you, the way that you guys have contributed and donated in this way has completely exceeded our expectations. $369,000 for a church plant in its first year, that is not normal. Um, we'll take it, but it's not normal. It's not normal at all. So let me just say, thank you so much for the ways that you guys have have participated and bought into our shared mission and vision to reach the West Side, to be a collective church community seeking to be about God's mission on the West Side. So thank you so much for your generosity. And, uh, you know, as we, as we sort of assess and are looking at, you know, this, this money that has come in, it's, 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 it's always a good opportunity, and I do this on a regular basis, um, to, to sort of take an opportunity to sort of reevaluate and reassess where I'm at and, and how much I'm giving. Because the last thing I want to do is be a hypocrite. I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff if I'm also not making the sacrifice, obviously, if I'm not participating in this stuff as well. I know Casey participates in giving, and I don't say that to prop him up. I say that just so you know for the record that, that you know I've checked his giving. And we hold each other accountable in that kind of stuff because it matters that we participate in this stuff. It, it would be silly for us to talk about this stuff with you guys as if we're somehow excluded from this. And, um, but it's good for us to reevaluate that stuff. And so it's good to sort of take a look from time to time and say, okay, what does that look like? What does my giving look like? How have, how have I contributed to this? What's my part in this? And what we found in, in looking at some of what has come in, that a little over half of our church community has given uh, less than $1,000 in, in, the, in, twi- in these 12 months. And so when I say that, that, that includes people that joined the church a month ago and people that joined the church 12 months ago. And so there's a lot of reasons and, and there's a lot of explanation of what that might look like. So I don't say that to, to sort of create sort of this, this, this level of giver. 
you know, and if you're below that, uh, shame on you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that as God has assembled us together, what that looks like is less than a thousand, sorry, less than a little over half of our, of our church community has given less than a thousand dollars. And I'm just asking you, as I practice myself, as I said, reassess that, evaluate that, see your, where you're at with that, and between yourself and God, because that's what actually really matters, see, how, you, see where, how God leads you as it relates to your giving. And we recognize that uh, trust is a major factor in giving, and trust is a huge factor in, in us willing to make sacrifices because we don't want what we have sacrificed to be squandered in any way. And so uh, that's a major factor, trust is. And so we're accountable. Uh, Pastor Casey and I, we're accountable to one another. We're accountable to our board. Um, we're accountable to our bookkeeper who sees everything. We're also accountable to our sending church, Reality LA, and we're accountable to um, the churches that have partnered together with us and the church planning organization that has been a part of that, the Orchard Group. So there are multiple layers of accountability, and we've set that up on purpose because we, we want to be above reproach in the way that we steward these finances and all these things that God has, um, has, uh, has brought in. And uh, we want you to know, if you have any further questions and you want to get in the weeds, if you're, if you're a CPA type, and you want to get in the weeds of, of the money and all that kind of stuff, you can totally do that. We have an open books policy, and so we can set up a time. And, and if you want to know more about what's going on with us financially, we can totally do that. And so I would just invite you, send us an email if that's you and you want to know more. We just, I just want to say that up front. But of these things that God has brought in and the ways that you guys have participated in this way, um, we set up a, a, a value early on that 12%, we wanted to give away 12%. So a lot of that goes to church planting to help fund other church plants. Um, also, we, we sought to identify two different causes uh, where, for us to be actively engaged here on the West Side where we can contribute financially. We also contribute and we call people to serve um, to, to, to sort of work within these causes. And the way it plays out is that we've partnered with two local organizations. One is called Claris, and the other one is called Chrysalis. Claris, um, their whole thing is that they are a, an organization that seeks to serve and to reach out to men and women um, who are, um, exp- uh, have an unexpected pregnancy. So I guess it's mostly women, but the men are usually involved, obviously. <laughs> But they seek to serve them. And, and so they are, a, you know, they are a pro-life organization, but they're not a typical pro-life organization. Their pro-life views and convictions sort of serve as the foundation for what they're engaged in and how they serve people. But when someone comes into their clinic and says, you know, I just found out I was pregnant and I'm scared and I don't know what to do, they are very mindful of the person that's sitting across from them. And so they are seeking to, to serve those individuals and when the men show up, same thing. Like, how can we love and to serve this person? And their commitment to these individuals um, and their unborn baby surpasses the typical boundaries of what a typical pro-life organization is all about. It's not just about the baby. That matters, obviously, but they're seeking to serve those individuals. And often, the way that they connect with these individuals goes on for years, they provide all kinds of medical services. They provide ultrasounds. They provide parenting classes, counseling, all kinds of things. They're amazing. The other organization is Chrysalis. Chrysalis um, seeks to give people a second chance by creating pathways out of homelessness. Sometimes people are 
Um, maybe they have a, a criminal record. It's impossible to find work. Maybe they're just down on their luck. They're homeless, whatever, and they're, fighting, they're trying to find an opportunity to get ahead. Chrysalis comes alongside and helps uh, provide job training, and um, they help them, people write resumes. They'll give people clothes for their interviews. They do interview training. They just help people to get, a, get ahead in life by placing them in a position to be able to find work and to reclaim their dignity. They're an amazing organization. Um, they, both of these organizations have a presence on the West Side, and we're stoked to be able to partner with them. But to the church planning piece, that's part of significant donations that we make to, to church plants as well that are getting off the ground. And so in these previous 12 months, we've been able to, to help support six other church plants around the world. So this sort of covers the national, and it also covers the global as well. So we ha- there's, there's church plants in Orlando, uh, f- uh, Brooklyn, London, Paris, Lagos, Nigeria, and Cape Town, South Africa. We've been able to come alongside and help support these churches. So we are deeply committed to seeing churches being established, not only in this country, but around the world. And because of this, through your generosity, you get to share in the fruit of these things. You get to share in what God is doing. There are people that will be saved. There are people that will come to know Jesus in these churches that you will never meet, but you get to share in the fruit of these people coming to know Jesus. And also, in addition to that, we think in a bigger scale, not just individuals who are coming to know Jesus, which is a thing, but who knows how many other church plants will result from these church plants. And we get to share in that together. So the way that we partner together and the way that we give and sacrifice and contribute financially to collective church really is an investment in God's broader work around the world. So people are coming to know Jesus and disciples are being made. It's really an exciting thing to be able to to be a part of these things. And so through your generosity, we get to to be about these things. And so uh, just know that you're making an impact. Just know, and I say you, I'll say we, because I'm part of it too. We're all a part of this together. We're all in this together. And one of the best things about all of this is that the best is yet to come. We're just talking about the first 12 months. And I'm so encouraged by what we see happening. I'm so excited about what this looks like. And uh, the best is yet to come. And collectively, we can be a part of these things together. And we are not only a community, but we're a family as well. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put like a bow on this thing for the next five minutes. Stick with me. I saw some heads bobbing down during the finance part. Stick with me. Stick with me. This is what I was thinking about, knowing that we're going to do a baby dedication. This is what I thought was very interesting. Imagine if baby June, the most adorable baby in the whole world, imagine if baby June was the exact same weight and height and level of development this time next year. Would all of us be like, oh, she's still cute, a little Benjamin Button baby, you know, a non-growing baby, ooh. Would we be pumped? No, we'd be like, oh, oh, that's not good. Is everything all right? The parents would be concerned, right? We'd be concerned. Now, if we as a church community were in this exact same situation a year from now, the same level of development, would everything be hunky-dory? No, far from it. Dare I even say, God forbid. God forbid. 
You see, as a church to grow, and hear me on this, to grow and to get another year older does not necessarily mean we are maturing. Christian maturity is not an aging process. It has been said that it is the intentionality of years and not the extensity that is the true measure of maturity. Now here to me, this is the freaky part. As a part of this community, as a pastor here, here's the freaky part. The extensity of years still comes. It still comes. Nobody's stopping time. Because no matter what, change will come, and it's this gradual inevitability. It's just, in my least heart, and I hope in your guys' heart, it's just what in the world are we changing into? It's coming nonetheless. What are we changing into? I believe we all agree that it seems that the majority of the Christian church's community in the state or in this country, there's tons of growth. Tons of growth. Growth, but, but uh, without depth. Big, big, big babies walking around. Not a lot of development. See, a growth where there's much superficiality and immaturity. And I don't know about you guys, but I hope right now, in this moment, Christian or not, that that would sober our minds in this moment. Growth without depth is, is bad. Collective church, we desire to fervently to, uh, to mature, to be like an archer and to set our aim upon maturity. Maturity is the end we seek. It is the end we seek. That is our target. Maturity, maturity, maturity. See, it's not to pack this place out. How many people can we fit in here? It's not to climb you know, the, the peaks of theological knowledge. Our end game is not to just go out and just evangelize, as important as that is. The ultimate goal stated with these words one more time. Allow me to read them from Scripture. Him, this is from the book of Colossians, from the New Testament. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, everyone, mature in Christ. Maturity is the agenda. Now, maturity can be tricky. For one thing, it's unattainable. So we set our heights on it. It's sort of the, the Moby Dick of, 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 you know, of, of our longing. But it is our aim. And by it, I'm obviously not talking about physical maturity, like when people are at their peak physically, much like me, or when like, it's, I'm not talking about emotional maturity or even intellectual maturity. I'm talking about with the book of Colossians, like the loud bell that is being rung here is that of thick, rich, spiritual maturity. It's a maturity that comes not just from what we know, not just from what we believe, but hear me on this, but rather by what we love. Simply, you and I are more than thinking creatures. We are desiring creatures. See, if maturity is our destination, then then our desires are the engines which bring us there. If it's our, our, our desires that shape us, then it's our desires that need to be shaped. And this is true for every single person here, Christian or not. Our desires lead us to mature our priority and our practices. Think about, think about Joel. Joel wanted to be in film, right? So we sought out to mature his priority and practices in order to be mature in that area. Think about if you love your spouse or you have a loved one in your life, you seek priorities and practices that lead to a maturing relationship. And if we are to mature in Christ, then our hearts will remain and need to be reminded of what is most significant. 
And I'm proud to say, after hearing these amazing reports, and I hope all of you guys are, bear with me, I hope you guys, all of us are, when you see these reports over and over and over, it seems as if we are maturing. Like, do you, the amount of churches that have to like beg people to step it up, and here we are saying, you guys are outrageous. It blows my mind. And so Lorenzo already said, I'm just going to say it from the bottom of my heart, I am completely humbled and honored to be one of your pastors. There is not another stinking church in the whole world that I would rather be at. I don't, I don't care about any other church. Well, I care, you know what I mean. I care about, this is the church that has my heart. This is the community that has my heart. I love everything inside of me. I love this church. Um, it's so crazy because I, long, I always want to boast about our, our metrics. You know, I want to boast about it. It's like, this church is outrageous. It's crazy to be part of the church where people can kind of be like, how? And we'd be like, I don't know. God. And we have no idea. It's just, you guys are epic. You guys are clearly, when you see from this type of stuff, a maturing church, which is engaged, invested, and healthy. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I was thinking today, I have, I've, I've only been a part of four churches my whole life. I got saved in 1998, and I've been part of four churches, including this one. Including this one. Half of them, half of them, I was part of a, they were dying churches. They were dying, it was like putting makeup on a corpse. I just kept scrubbing the decks of a sinking ship. You ever been part of a dying church before? Horrible. Breaks your heart. Rotting bones and decaying values and corrupted leadership. In my opinion of why, they got that way is because faithfulness overshadowed, overshadowed fruitfulness and receiving trumped giving and tradition replaced the Holy Spirit and personal mission before God's mission and priorities and practices were individual based rather than collective based. Those are a diagnosis of a dying church. Those are the diagnosis of a dying spiritual person. I love this quote from a very famous nun She says, when one reaches the highest degree of human maturity, one has only one question left. How can I be helpful? Oh. A key factor to our own maturity and health is the pursuit of others' health and maturity. To ask, how can I be helpful? This is really the sum of spiritual maturity, I believe, and I believe it's biblical. Maturity defined by the world is what? You're coming of age, right? You come of age, and where we make all of our own decisions. My kids cannot wait to be adults. They tell us all the time, we're going to stay up till nine when we're an adult, Dad. Nine o'clock. <laughs> I'm like, do it. Like, I want to be in bed by eight. Coming of age is like, we want to plan our own fates. We want to plan our own destinies. We want to lay the bricks of our own path. But Christian maturity would have us set a very different path. It's as author Henry Nouwen said about maturity, it is the ability and willingness to be led where you would not rather go. That's what he says maturity is. See, the way of Jesus to be in Christ, to be in Christ, like Colossians said, is not upward, but downward mobility, a downward path. It's a path leading to others, to generosity, even to the unknowns, the undesirables, the uncomfortable, and even painful places. 
essentially places many of us choose not to be. Maturity is found in the places we don't want to be. See, for some of us, that, that's accountability. Well, that's not a place I want to be. For some of us, that could be discipleship. No, 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 no. That's not a place I want to be. Andy's story shatters me because that's not where she wanted to be, but she went into the dark cave of discipleship for her own heart, and she found spiritual maturity. For some, it could easily just be you know, conversing with extroverts. Like, I don't want to be there. For some, it could be here right now. It's like, I don't want to be here. Again, though, I'm proud of this community who go, you guys go where it's dark. I want you guys to know that. You guys walk willingly into the frustrating. You guys walk headlong right into where it's fearful. I love you guys. I do want to have a word, though, for those right now who have not yet set down that path, the downward path. To those Christians who still enjoy the fringe. To those who desires, their desires are perhaps things other than the lover of our soul, Lord Jesus Christ. To those who maybe are in like arrested development. I would say this, if that's you. Too much is at stake to stand idly by. There's too much at stake. Your health, your growth, and maturity will not happen by accident. Your health, your growth, and your maturity will not happen with age. It is to be fought for. I feel led to say this. The smallest communities we are, I, feel, I do feel that there might, have, there might be some in this room who have thrown in the towel. Too much is at stake to throw in the towel. This month we are calling people to something. We didn't want to, again, I told you, we didn't say it every week. We didn't want to just have a church series where it's just like, cool, let's just talk about the church. No. We wanted to call people something, say words that were truthful at the same time, heavy enough, where we are willing to take the risk that some people would go, I don't like this. We wanted to make things uncomfortable here so that people would be stirred up because too much is at stake. I love the small amount of verses that happened before our verse tonight about maturity. Talk about shaping our desires, shaping our loves. Allow these verses I'm about to read. Set your heart ablaze. Let me read them to us. Right before the verses in Colossians on maturity. Here they are. This is what Paul says to a church. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you and us, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, 
by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Are those not, I mean, it's not like an earthquake of words. Again, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The entire purpose of creation, Jesus himself delivered a purpose to us that will not fail. The most prized possession of heaven, Jesus himself brings us to the Father and presents us just as pleasurable and prized and precious. Precious. In him, all things are held together, but it was by his body being torn apart, we are made whole. And peace was given to those who were performing evil deeds, alienated. That's you and I. Do you see why maturity in Christ is the end game? Do you see why to be mature in Christ is to fulfill every desire in Christ? To be mature in Christ. See, to be in Christ means we must be what? Out of ourselves. Out of the small, 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 teeny little solutions for our immense desires, I pray that we get out of ourselves, out of these small solutions. To those here who do not profess Jesus as Lord, to those here who reject Christianity, who don't follow Christ, hear me when I say this. I remember being in your exact spot. Joel remembers being in your exact spot. Lorenzo remembers being in your exact spot. Andy remembers being in your exact spot. It's one thing after another. Because if one thing doesn't satisfy us, right? If one thing doesn't satisfy us, what happens? They're on to another thing. And it's this perpetual longing. Maybe a new job will fulfill me. Maybe more money. Maybe a new friend will fulfill me. Maybe a new location. Maybe Joel, another movie I get to make or another movie I get to watch. Maybe more kids. Maybe a new lover. Maybe no kids. Maybe a new hobby. The Bible says this about those who seek to quench the endless searching. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is why we are urgent. I'm wrapping it up. This is why we are urgent to stay on the straight and narrow and desire to mature so that the world all the way down to our neighbor may find rest for the restless soul in Jesus. This is why we are fighting. This is why we want to continue fighting because it's maturity that will be able to reach them. And the most tangible way we'll know if we're maturing. See, here's how we, you guys want to write this down or do whatever you want to do. How, we'll know, how will we know if we're maturing? Here's the most tangible way. By reproducing. The Bible talks a lot about reproducing or producing fruit. It talks a lot about producing spiritual fruit. Everything from love to joy to patience to faithfulness. I want us to get, to be able to reproduce is really the most tangible expression. Think about, think about an avocado tree. Don't think about how evil it is that we're on an avocado strike right now. There is no point to existence right now, but think about an avocado tree. How do we know when an avocado tree is mature? When it's producing avocados, right? How do we know when a human being is physically mature? When he or she has the ability to produce or reproduce. How do we know when we are a maturing church? When we produce and reproduce. 
See, this is the fruit of our own lives. It's the reaching of our mission and it's reproduction on all fronts. Friends, we want to reproduce on all fronts, just like our vision statement said in the beginning, to be able to reproduce and plant churches, to take the seed and be able to plant it all over the West Side to the ends of the earth, to reproduce our neighborhood dinners, our discipleship efforts, our leaders, our volunteers, and to make disciples who make disciples that make disciples and make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. Are we ready? Are we ready for 2017? Are we ready for the rest of this year? Are we going to fight to see the alienated brought near? Are we ready to fight to see the hopeless become hopeful? Are we ready to fight to see the lost found? Are we ready for another year to be able to see the dead come alive? That is why we must set our aim, our maturity in Christ. Sound good? All right, let's pray.